everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast where we talk about the movies and the characters that make us feel seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I am so glad you're tuning in, and you should be glad too, because we have got, you know, I'm going to say it, we've got a funny, heartfelt conversation with none other than Bridget Everett, the creator and star and foundational living text for HBO's new half-hour series called, let's say it all together, Somebody Somewhere. And stick around until the end when I'll have one more quick thing to say about, get ready everybody, Roland Emmerich's new disaster spectacular, Moonfall. But now, on to the main event. This is a real, like, drum roll, please. I am talking with Bridget Everett. One of one, the Bridget Everett. You might know Bridget if you've caught her, um, perhaps in one of her many stage shows in New York City doing, I believe it's been described most frequently as alternative cabaret. I look at it as like like innovative cabaret. Let's innovate into the next level. Uh, Maybe you've seen her combination musical stand-up special, Gynecological Wonder. What you can definitely see now is the HBO series on HBO Max, Somebody, Someplace, Bridget, is there anything else we need to know about you before we get started? I think that's good. The show's actually called Somebody Somewhere, so let's get that. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) It's okay. No. mm. Jordan, keep it. I don't care. My own mother doesn't know what it's called, but now everybody is. I'm I'm setting the record straight. It's Somebody Somewhere. uh, Somebody Somewhere, a show I really, really like. And I have, look at this, look at me. I told you I was nervous and this is the product of that. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I texted, um, not to drop a name right off the top, but I saw um, White Lotus and I, I'm friends with Jennifer Coolidge. So I texted her. I was like, oh my God, you know, you're so, so great to see you and blah, 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 White Orchid. And she's like, <laughs> just like, that's not what it's called. <laughs> that's not, it's, what's, what's important is that you enjoy the product, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I really did and 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 I was I was just saying before we started recording before you came on that I'm I'm really looking forward to spending time with these people which one one of these people is very much you it's it's very much a sort of take interpretation on your real life and and I said I was I was ready to keep going back to choir practice um which is a part of the show I'm looking forward to you all discovering because I was like just like slow weeping as it was all happening <laughs> Bridget, may I ask what movie and what character you have brought for us to discuss today? Uh, you know, this was actually a really big challenge when I was thinking about this. Like, how have I, when have I ever filmed scene? And like, it's mm-hmm. it's literally like, you know, like a, a five second clip here, five second clip there. I guess I haven't yeah. always felt that reflection, yeah. but I had to go with the movie that no matter what people think, <laughs> <laughs> that, that punches me in the gut every time. And I had to think about it. And that movie is Rudy. And you know what? You made a, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, but you're going to have a, a reaction to it. <laughs> if people have not seen The Ultimate Tale of the Underdog, uh, can you tell us what the movie Rudy is about? The Rudy, oh my God, Jordan, you're going to put me on the spot. I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I haven't watched it for a while, but it's like big dreams, big heart, little body, long way to go, yep. gets there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, Can't Lose. Starring Sean Astin as a Midwestern boy whose truly singular only dream and goal in life is to attend Notre Dame and play on the football team. And amidst self-doubt but a growing chorus of supporters, Rudy makes his way to South Bend and and finds success after so much hard work. Little, little body, big dreams. I love that. 
You ready, champ? I've been ready for this my whole life. Then you take us out on feet. Let's go. Oh, yeah. A 90s special, 1993, um, so, you know, a millennial classic, really, and, and a timeless tale. I was, I, was, I was designated as, like, I was referred to as the Rudy of my own teams uh, growing up because I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a good, I'm good enough as an athlete, but I was always more heart than I was talent, and I was always the sort of, like, rally person of the team. So when I saw that as an option, my heart started to flutter. And watching it again this week to prepare, I cried again. And, like, cried in that way that you cry differently when you're older than you did when you were younger. And so I was feeling emotional at the choice and was so excited that you you went with it to pick it. Well, based on that, you know, I have a friend that we used to play softball together. And, and, and you know, we have... My friend Marie Hill, who plays Fred Rococo on the show, we have this thing called Catch Club. Fred uh, Rococo. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fred Rococo. <laughs> but we'll get to that. But anyway, we were playing. So Murray and then my friend Neil, uh, a.k.a. Champagne Jerry, the three of us have this thing called Catch Club. And we go to the park and we we play, we do softball drills. And Murray's Coach Hill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just like, you know, all sorts of drills. I'm like, we're, you know, we're in our 40s and here we are just, you know, you know, down there like Rudy, whatever. Anyway, uh, then we have some other members of our team that came to cast clubs because they thought it'd be like, you know, fun, you know, just tossing the ball around in the park. Yeah. And then uh, they realized that uh, Mr. Murray Hill is not there to mess around. <laughs> and I always tell them, I'm like, it's hometown before the Hollywood. You know, you got to get the basics. You got to get this, you know, the fundamentals. So um, <laughs> and I think that's who Rudy is. Rudy is like all about the the, the heart and the and the hustle. And uh, yeah. I think that's what I want to see in myself. I see in, in him. I loved thinking of, because there, there's such a clarity of purpose to Rudy. Yeah. Like Rudy knows from the intro of that movie, from the time he's a child, I'm going to play at Notre Dame. And everyone's like, you're not even going to get in the door at Notre Dame, Rudy. Yeah. And there was always such a clarity of purpose. And I wondered for you, was there, because you've had such an eclectic, an eclectic run in your life. I wondered, was there that clarity of purpose for you? Or was it more of a of a trial and error trajectory? It was definitely no clear, clear uh, path, no, no clear idea, no clear traje- trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've never been somebody who had any idea what I was doing or how I was going to do it. The thing that was very clear to me is the thing that I loved and that was singing. And it felt like that Mm -hmm. was out of reach. You know, it Mm -hmm. always felt like I was never going to be able to do it for a living, but I just sort of kept like stumbling towards it. And Mm -hmm. um, I know that that's like not exactly what Rudy was doing because Rudy like, (laughs) you know, Rudy was one foot in front of the other. Every step was a step towards Notre Dame. But for me, every step has been sort of, a step towards singing and and performing it's just it's just been without the idea of how to get there but but it's yeah. it's it's his heart it's his like his 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 willingness to cling to it knowing i mean he sort of thinks it's going to happen for himself and but i mm-hmm. wasn't really sure it's just that it's just <laughs> that it's unrelenting it's the not giving up it's the, mm-hmm. the the passion behind it and having people sort of to the left or right you'd be like uh what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm very much related to that. <laughs> ever since I was a kid, I wanted to go to school here. And ever since I was a kid, everyone said it, it couldn't be done. My whole life, people have been telling me what I could do and couldn't do. I've always listened to them, believed in what they said. I don't want to do that anymore. 
once you start looking for patterns and things, you find patterns and things. So of course, like as I'm researching for this conversation, I'm thinking of the movie in mind and that specific character and in that specific arc. And it seems like one of the most wonderful parts about watching Rudy is seeing how like he has plenty of detractors, but he also like anybody he gets to know sort of outside his hometown where you, you, you are exist as this sort of idea in your small you know, space where you grew up and people can't see you as sort of something beyond what you were when you were little. Anybody he meets that he encounters once he gets to South Bend, anybody who gets to know him, they're like, that kid's gonna, like, you cannot help but but be drawn to and believe in his relentless focus and desire. And in reading ev- anything I could about you, the the coterie of people that you amassed around you as supporters as you were making your way up once you got to New York is an incredibly impress murderer's row of people. You have Patty <laughs> Lupone yeah. out there being like, Bridget Everett is the best thing in New York on stage with you. Like I saw a benefit, you know, clip from a benefit concert in 2013, singing Bobby McGee with you into a dildo at points and <laughs> spitting Chardonnay into the room. And, you know, I really appreciated that contrast in your story of moving toward this thing you weren't sure what it was yet but just being relentlessly yourself and having all of these believers while at the same time after patty lupone sings a song with you you have your waitressing job that you return to yeah back on the other side of town and i I wanted to hear about that like contradiction where it's like i have all these people who are saying i'm i've got it and who believe in me who back me and the reality of my life is more of a struggle than that is telling me should be true like i wanted to hear about that part of your your story. Yeah, I I feel like that I, I can't think of a great a good metaphor right now, but like the Patty Lapones of it all are sort of <laughs> like the like the the shoelaces. You know, they just kept sort of like tightening up the shoes and making me feel like eventually <laughs> I would be able to run. But in the meantime, you know, I'm waiting tables five nights a week or whatever. And it's hard to kind of think of yourself as any star or are I mean, that's not a goal for me, but the successful, like as a singer or whatever, when you're, you know, racking glasses six or five nights a week and taking specials Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and wearing your same stinky Dansko clogs and putting on the apron (laughs) again. And, you know, I think for me, like, you know, waiting tables was a, was a means to an end. And, 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 you know, and I, I got health insurance and there were a lot of wonderful things and a lot of wonderful people. Um, and it's a respectable job, but it wasn't something I want to do for my entire life. So it does, it does sort of beat you down, especially when you're like in your twenties, like, ah, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 30. And then when you're in your thirties, like, well, I'm definitely not going to be doing it when I'm 40. And then, and then, you know, one night you're doing that. And the next night, Patty Lapone invites you to go sing with her at Carnegie Hall. And you're like the, <laughs> the, just like the, 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 you know, the, the pendulum of it, the, 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 whatever the word is, you know, the, the, this and that, what do you call it? What's the big word? Jordan, I know you got a lot the, of big the, words in you. The push and pull, the, the, and the back pull. and forth. The back and forth. You know, the yeah. back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, it, it, it just is, you really have to have like this, this Rudy type thing in yeah. you that like, that keeps you going through that because it's, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to try to make it overnight. I'm going to go to New York and try to make it in 10 years. I'm going to go to New York mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to make it in whatever. And, you mm-hmm. know, it it took me, and I think that I can say I'm doing all right now because I'm, you know, I'm I'm on a TV show. I'm, I'm on my, I got my <laughs> yeah. own show. But, if this wasn't a marker of all right, I'd be like, I don't know what you're going for if this part <laughs> isn't all right. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know. No, no. I feel, I felt like I was successful before. Like I have a really loyal audience at Joe's pub where I do my shows and, and I, I felt successful when I finally quit waiting tables. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. 
but really like it's when I watch, you know, again, to bring it back to like Rudy or something, but I watch, I watch those movies, you know, Rudy or Rocky or just sort of like that triumphing over, you know, I just love those kinds of movies because I wanted to be Rudy and get the tackle on the last play. You know, I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to finally, I wanted to finally do it. And I feel like right now, on HBO, I'm finally get I'm getting the tackle on the last play. You know, I feel that is a sack of the quarterback with everybody chanting your name. Yeah, that is a sack of the quarterback for sure. Is an HBO show <laughs> where like you are the star and and Sam is you. Like it's you don't talk to many people for whom the sort of when they pass that threshold onto the thing that they were getting to is not only like not that you were like doing it for validation but there there is a validation that comes with like that sort of industry cosign that industry admittance of like and an hbo show yeah and then to to know for you specifically that it was your it is your story specifically that this was like the thing that was going to put you over into that new threshold of of success where it's like yeah, it's not just your talent and your ability, but also we find the reality of you so compelling that we're going to make this whole thing about you. That that seems like a crazy sort of thing to be in the middle of. Well, I think what's what, you know, one of the people that's meant a great deal to me is um, Adam Horowitz, who happens to be Ad Rock with the BC Boys. And he was in my band for a number of years, The Tender Moments. And... The Tender Moments. <laughs> and, and, you know, I started writing these like, original songs and like he he you know we were out he came to catch club and mm-hmm. uh he was you know when you say hometown without the hollywood he was always doing like the fancy throws and i'm like you gotta you gotta you gotta do the hometown before the hollywood adam you're doing all this fancy stuff you're joking around this is serious <laughs> business um but i was you know i was singing this song while i was shagging balls um about different kinds of tits and like and i mm-hmm. told him about it and you know i was like this is silly right and he's like no it sounds like a hit and i i guess <laughs> And he, you know, he, he's, he's like, you got to do you be yourself basically. And, and every time I've gotten a little bit closer to me or given a little bit more of myself, I've taken one more mm-hmm. step towards sacking the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that the, the, the uh, back and forth of it or the whatever is for a lot of years, like I was being myself and I was being, it was pretty wild. I mean, the club, the stuff I've done in, on stage is wild, but it was, it's, <laughs> but it's also like, it's a, it's just a very important side of me. And I felt like yeah. people were discovering it, but it was like kind of like everybody's secret. You know, I was like a secret for everybody. Um, right. Best kept secret, Bridget Everett. Best kept secret. But, and, and you know, which, which is great, but you know, I, I wanted a little more than that. I wanted, yeah. I, I thought if people found this, like if the people in the room found it so thrilling, you know, I'm not trying to, to my own horn, but like I eat the audience. I is, mean, I've watched as many videos as <laughs> I can get my hands on. They seem fucking thrilled. But the so, audience yeah. has always been very enthusiastic and always loving and it. And it's a back and forth thing. I love them too. It's like a great, mm-hmm. it's a great conversation. You're in the room. You're like, you're dancing with each other, you know, sort of. A thing uh, I really enjoyed uh, watching as many of like clips of your live performances I can get is if I can get a point in in there where you have somebody up on stage or you, you do something, you, you uh, have audience participation in some way. And then at the end, once they've like, you you've brought a guy up on stage and he's like airplaned you with his feet and then you've sat on his face or you have a woman up on stage and you're dancing with her and then you flip her upside down and there's always it seems like there's almost always this really joyful hug afterwards where you're both just like so 
you're so appreciative to one another for the experience in the middle of this chaotic, like organized chaos. And it's just really, it's this really heartening grounding coming back from the craziness of the number. And it's like, look at everybody just like sinking, like sinking into this moment. With <laughs> it's really nice. Well, for me, it feels like a really like we're, we're sort of giving each other the permission. I guess I'm sort of taking the, the, the lead on that, but like where yeah. we're giving each other the permission to sort of, dance on the edge you know to sort of uh <laughs> to uh walk on the sun just to you know, I, I don't know i i feel like so much especially when i was waiting tables for so long and it's like the joy and me personally was mm-hmm. becoming more and more tamped down um mm-hmm. just sort of not being where i wanted to be or not you know fully realizing my potential or whatever mm-hmm. um I, I think those moments on stage became more and more important because I was there with somebody who bought a ticket to come see me. And I, I'm like, I want to give them something. I want to give them the kind of release that they're giving me, you know, because mm-hmm. being there and getting to be like the most excited and alive that I feel <laughs> in my life, I wanted to give them that kind of feeling too. And so it is, it is a hug and it is a joyful hug and it is, mm-hmm. It's at least that's how it's felt to me. <laughs> I, don't, I, sh- I shouldn't speak for the person who's doing the airplane with me and being like, I hope I can hold her. <laughs> I hope I can bear the weight. <laughs> Your the suspension bridge of one another is allowing you to take flight. It's, that's it's right. Work, it's working out from what I've seen. Um, it get, getting to you know you mentioned it at the very beginning of this. You were like, you know, I see clips here, I see clips there. You know, and I and I wasn't necessarily I couldn't necessarily find the one to one of me. And and a thing that I, I want to make sure that I'm talking about on this podcast as often as possible is that for for many or most people, there isn't the one to one. And there is a kind of creative sharpening that has to happen in, in people's minds to find themselves in places where they don't get linear representation for themselves. And um, there's a part of the New Yorker profile of you where um, a producer that you had worked with somebody was saying to them like you know we see her as the next Roseanne and he said she's not the next Roseanne she's the next Bridget F <laughs> like when you're when you are one of one it's challenging because then there isn't a referent for you and people are more comfortable with things they have reference points of and I wondered if you know being that sort of being in that situation of, like she's not the next Roseanne she's the next Bridget Everett like I wondered what about yourself you you hadn't seen in places where you were like, well, yeah, there's bits of me here and there's bits of me there. But what what have you found is sort of like absent in like narrative depictions and in like film that you were like, mm, that's not really getting at me. Like, where's this part of me that like we now do see in your new show? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I feel like, first of all, that was Michael Patrick King. And I did a show with him years ago called At Least It's Pink that sort of never, I mean, we it was, it, it was, we had a great run off off Broadway at the Ars Nova Theater. Mm-hmm. And then like, and there was like talk about transferring it to off Broadway or to a bigger theater. And like, it was just like too much or something. And then I did a pilot for Amazon with Michael and the men didn't respond. I guess I was too much, you know? So finally, yeah. I, and it's interesting because like as a person and as like a, I feel like sort of soft-spoken and quiet mm-hmm. and, and on stage, I'm a wild wildebeest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I just, first of all, physically, I never feel like I see myself on screen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm about six feet tall. I'm a big woman, sort of mm-hmm. 
post-athletic build. <laughs> sure, yeah. And yeah, then... you were you were a you were a, a very good competitive swimmer. It sounds like from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, from your like high school years. I did all right. I did all right. You know, those yeah. the, the, the flip turns in the in the pilot of somebody somewhere. They're me. They're not a double. It's me. <laughs> no, when I was watching that, I was like, this is a, no, this is this is Bridget Everett. This is a person who knows what they're doing in the pool. That was a great character detail to be like, oh, this is information about this person. But I I feel like just like the the bits and bobs. Like I feel like I'm kind of. Uh, you know, like unsure of myself, like when I'm mm. in, interpersonally and like when I'm around other people, a lot of nervous laughter, a lot of whatever. <laughs> and then, but then on stage and wildly confident and I just, and, and like can cry at the drop of the hat, you know, I feel like very, <laughs> like a lot of unresolved emotions. And so like, I, I don't know, like I'll always relate to like one little p- point or one little bit of somebody in a show, but I just, yeah. just never felt like I found the 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 person that was me so I I think but the themes and the things that mean the most to me like when I see a movie mm-hmm. like Rudy for instance it's like yeah. what there, like there's little bits that are that, that are emotionally resonate with me um but I don't know I never saw like I I can't even think of a a movie right now like I'm not in Greece I'm not you know I'm not Olivia and John you know I'm not like the sweet <laughs> school girl that's like sexy in the black pants later I've, it's like a very wildly different version of that I guess that's actually that's not so bad she's kind of quiet and she's kind of wild and she likes to wear fun shoes and do up her hair <laughs> and be like a bad girl uh, maybe I got a little bit of that in me too <laughs> <laughs> well when did you because you you started um I think you 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 sang in high school and then you got into Arizona State University where I, I believe was it a full ride for studying like operatic singing at ASU? Yeah, I got a I got a pretty uh, generous scholarship there to Arizona State <laughs> for vocal Great. performance. Great. And I, you know, I hope you had fun as the Arizona schools oh, are yeah. known for having. Party school, number one party school <laughs> when I went. And let me tell you what, it did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I bring that up because I've read some stuff where you talk about like hanging around in Phoenix after and you would, you know, regularly do like karaoke. And then obviously you moved to New York and you're doing stage shows and, and continuing doing, doing karaoke. I wondered when, when did you find the kind of singing that you realized was like what most embodied like this character that you would go on to build, this stage presence of Bridget Everett. Where where did the the persona start? The the seed, the the, the little the the seed that started it all was like in karaoke <laughs> bars because <laughs> I had studied you know vocal performance and which is you know opera and and I love singing that way, but it, for me it meant like no drinking, couldn't be around smoke, you know had to be, keep right. like a very none like lifestyle which was not for me i went to a party school mm-hmm. for a reason right <laughs> um, but then i started going to, to karaoke bars because i was just so frustrated with not knowing what i was going to do i was like what am i i'm going to move to new york i'm not i'm not a chorus girl i'm yeah I, i'm too, i'm too old to be like a pop singer i don't have that build you know i don't <laughs> i'm i'm too i'm too this i'm too that i'm too this you know so i would just go to karaoke bars after getting off my shift with my friends and mm-hmm. just let it rip <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, you know, getting on top of the bar, singing, ripping my shirt off, taking booze, spitting it on the crowd, just all a Patty LaPone, um, yes. just going wild. And I was like, this is it. Like this, this is living. And so <laughs> when I was in New York and I, I came here and I or came to New York and I got like a children's theater tour right away and I got my equity card, my actor's equity card. And I'm like, okay, well that sucked. <laughs> you know, I do not. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't want to ride in a van and go, you know, to West Virginia or wherever. Nothing against you know, those places, but just like I don't want to be driving all over the place and singing a child's version of Hansel and Gretel. I don't want to do it. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I was doing karaoke, and my friend Jason Egan, who runs the theater, I mentioned before, Ars Nova saw me, and and mm-hmm. and he was like, "You should be doing a show," and I was like really? <laughs> yeah. And, you're like, help. Okay. And then to make it a little more full circle, um, my friend Zach Schaefer, who I would go to karaoke with and, um, mm-hmm. he took me to downtown to see some like downtown performance kind of shows like Kiki and Herb and yeah. Murray Hill, Murray Hill, who, uh, Murray Hill. and then Murray put me in a show and I sang this song can hole that it was an original song of mine and which is about, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I can say it, but you know, butt stuff. You can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> and I just, you know, anyway, that that was like the first time. And Murray, like, I came off stage and Murray was like, holy shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> Basically, like, what was that? Who are you? Wow. Oh, my God. And and there, you know, started our friendship of showbiz for, you know, 20 years now or whatever it is. But, but um, yeah, so it was just sort of finding it in New York and, like, seeing, like, there was this drag queen who's since passed away who was a real hero of mine her name was sweetie and she mm. it you know she had a way of delivering a song that would bring you to your knees and bring you to tears just so connected and like there was something mm-hmm. but also murray is very connected to who he is and was like yeah these were people that were not not what you see on tv not what you see yeah. you know they were themselves and they were larger than life and explosive and colorful, mm-hmm. living life, life in full blown color. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to be. I was like, this is it. So take the yeah. karaoke, take that sort <laughs> of wild thing that makes you feel so good and step into what is you. And every time I've done that, life has gotten a little bit better. And that's where it started. You know, I will, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life was I was in a competitive karaoke league in San Francisco for two years. (laughs) Okay, Jordan. And that two years and four seasons. And the thing about karaoke league was that it was equally scored on sing it and bring it. (laughs) So one was not weighted further than the other. And it was incredible to watch over the course of the four seasons that we did the way people who were more in their shell at the start of those, at the start of the league, to where by the time we had done weeks and weeks and dozens and dozens of competitions together, to see how much more forward they were with themselves on stage as it went, it was incredible. Like it was, I can't, I can't recommend to anybody enough that if like, you're feeling like you need to make a change in your life, start doing a lot of karaoke. I agree. Because you're going to figure something out. I don't know what it's going to be, but you're going to figure something out along the way. And it's all, it is all about the bring it, not necessarily about the sing it, you know? I think that that's the point. That's the, that's what unlocks you, you know, just like fully live in the, you know, like people, a lot of people think, karaoke sad i think it's wonderful you know like it's a, oh my it's god <laughs> as you as you know now yeah. i will protest that <laughs> let's take a quick break and then we will be back with more bridget more rudy and more you love it you know it me hi i'm jesse thorne america's radio sweetheart And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th 
anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights and Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum, and I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit, and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Lublin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Feeling Seen, where I'm talking with Bridget Everett about the way she sees herself in the title character of that treasured underdog football film from 1993, Rudy. You know, so I, I was wondering, like, in the in the context of the the character itself, you know, is there is there a particular like Rudy moment where you were like, this is really crystallizing what I feel draws me toward this character. Just like a, a sort of singular moment where it's like, this is the most Bridget aspect of, of Rudy well, to me. Well, I, I think there's two. One one of my very favorite parts of that movie is like, he's talking to Charles Dutton. I think that's his yeah. name. Yeah. And he's, they're in that, they're like in a galleyway kind of thing. And, and he's like, you're five foot nothing. A hundred and <laughs> yeah. nothing. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. To prove to everyone prove that I work what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't gonna never happen. That moment for me is always just like, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the moment of like when they're, when he's like at practice, you know, on Notre Dame and he keeps like, he keeps getting up and he's just like, he's on his little, he's tip tapping on his toes and he's so loud on his feet and they just keep yep. banging him down, knocking him down, <laughs> knocking him down, knocking him down. And then finally- The coach them, tries to take him out and he's like, oh, coach, no, leave me in, I can I, do it. I, I can do it, I can do it. <laughs> all right, get out of here. Come on, coach, I can do it. Bleeding all over, covered in dirty oh, yeah. grass. And then Vince Vaughn, is that Vince Vaughn? I think it is Vince, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, yeah, just like, a, a rail of a man. Yeah, it's just like, get him out of here, coach. And he's like, you just summed up your whole career. If you had even a little bit of the heart that Rudy Rudiger has, you'd be a you'd be an all-American or whatever it is. And I was just like, 
<laughs> that, that like Vince Vaughn felt like a thousand of other people I knew just sort of shooting to superstardom, and I'm like, they're getting back up after getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, and still getting up. <laughs> did you feel like? Did you have your? Did you have your moment of like? You know, Rudy's wanting to suit up. He wants to suit up once his his senior year before it's before it's over. So we can be officially like go down in the books as part of the team. And when he doesn't get listed to dress for that last game, he's like, fuck it, I quit. Like for the first time in his life, probably Rudy says, I quit. Had, you know, in all your years of endeavoring and pushing and pushing, did you ever come to that precipice? Or were, did you always feel a clear resolve to keep going forward? I feel like there's a thousand times I've given up on myself. And gotcha. I feel like that there are, but I've had a lot of, you know, there's that moment in Rudy where they're, they're like, it's a... Uh, the coach is at the desk and then the, the captain oh. and an all American comes in and he's like, I'd like Rudy to dress in my place. And the, oh. co- and the coach is like, you're an all American act like it. And he's like, I believe I am. And then he puts his jersey, yep. on the, jersey on the thing. I want Rudy to dress in my place, coach. He deserves it. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. You're an all American and our captain act like it. I believe I am. Me too, coach. I'm ready to dress in my place. That was Patti LuPone, and it's been Ad-Rock, and it's been Amy Schumer, and it's been Michael Patrick King, and it's been Carolyn Strauss, it's been HBO, and like, finally, I got to suit up and go out on the field. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that makes me want to cry. It's so good. Oh God. That just, you know, I wondered when, like, because when you were saying, like, Famously, you have a song about all the different kinds of titties. Yeah. And, you know, you have songs about dicks and mouths. Like, you are you are a ribald, embodied persona when you are out there working your way through the room. And had that sort of body humor always been a part of your sort of preferences, like styling, sense of humor, like with your performance or, yeah. or what have you? Or did that, okay, so that was always there and then it kind of got, it got, it got to be channeled into like this, yeah. this stage work. When I was a kid, I always had, like, I'm the youngest of six kids. So I, the shit that I heard being tossed around my house, you know, like just the, the swear words alone, but just like things that made me laugh were just like fart jokes, tits, you know, poops, you know, like my mom <laughs> walked around all the time. She never was wearing a bra and, you know, so my brother Brock coined them beaver tails, like her tits, because they're like long and low hanging. And <laughs> and like her favorite cuss word was motherfucker shit or ass her. And like it's just like the the kind of language that yeah. um that I'm used to and that I grew up with and the stuff that makes me laugh. And you know, frankly, in in a, a, you know Manhattan, Kansas, which is a fairly conservative town, um, yeah. that. Got me in a lot of trouble, you know, like yeah. <laughs> in school suspension and whatever. And, you know, I think even then and now my friends think of me just like, oh, Bridget, you know, here she goes again. Like not, you know, they love me and we're whatever, but just like, it's just, it's just who I am and who I've always, who I've always been. What was, <laughs> was there a process of discovery that you expected or not when you went back to make your show in Kansas? Well, yeah, I think that, like, you probably could do a TV show that's all about, like, 
tits and you know the what I gotta do to get that dick in my mouth all that stuff but like sure but but I think that was more interesting to all of us is to try to tell the story of like what if somebody like me had stayed in Kansas like what li- mm-hmm. my life might look like and also like the kind of person that I was in the years that got me to the that person that sings about tits you know like the yeah it's it's a complicated ride you know there's like depression and self-doubt and self-worth issues and things like that you know but when we were just when we were doing this tv show we just wanted to have like a a slice of life like a slice of Mm -hmm. what life might be like if I lived in Kansas and 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 if if I met people like Murray Hill not in New York but as you know like a Frederick Coco in in Kansas and and uh I think it's it's a cool, it's a, it's a cool experiment and I'm, I'm proud of it. <laughs> as I was, as I've been reading about you and, and again, watching the movie, I wondered like, were the, you know, it was, was, re- was working in the restaurant kind of like your, your steel mill, yeah. sort of like the, the job you could always go back to. The job was always like, well, come on back, Bridget. Like was, were these, you're, you're going downtown to perform cabaret and and ad rock is performing in the tender moments behind you and then like you're going back to the steel mill at the end of the night kind of thing um i've been working at a steel mill for about four years and um i've been saving up my money and i've been planning on coming here but uh well my friend pete he really understood what my dream was and he told me not to waste any more time i mean sometimes just like working doing a show coming off stage at 11.30 and, like, having to wake up for, like, a brunch shift at, like, you know, 7.30 the next morning, standing ovation, Ad-Rock's in the van, you know, loving audience, and then just the next morning, like, would you like those over easy, over medium, more coffee? That's a real, like, superhero dual identity situation. Like, I'm Catwoman and I'm Selena Kyle. Yeah, (laughs) totally. <laughs> and just smelling like a bottle of Chardonnay. But what are you going to do? We all do the best we can. <laughs> we all do the best we can. Well, and I guess like as, you know, getting down toward getting down toward the end of it, you know, I a thing I'd been I think I've been wanting to sort of like funnel toward is with that quarterback sack with somebody somewhere. And the way that it does channel so the litany of your talents that you bring to a situation. I remember I watched you in in Patty Cakes, and and then it's been funny reading these things where it was you know the idea of like she's uncategorizable, she's this force of nature talent, but like where does this go? How do you market it? How do you sell it? And I remember thinking back at Patty Cakes, being like, she's a really good actress. Like I don't get the problem. Like what do you what do you mean? What do you do with a talented actress? I don't I don't understand well, the the gap here. I have to say that Jeremy Jasper, who's the writer and director of that movie saw me on uh, Amy Schumer, on Amy Amy's show. I used to close every season with a song and I was singing what I got to do to get that dick in my mouth. And he was <laughs> watching from home. He's like, that's the mother in my movie. And I was like, okay. So anyway, he called my agent <laughs> and... Some, you know, that's really the. I feel like that's the epitome of every time I I stepped more into my light as myself. Something good happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, he called. They called my agent. And like, he was taking it to the Sundance Labs. And did I want to come? And I tried to get out of it. I was like, I'm not that kind of actress, you know, actor. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. And then he like talked me into it. I got there. I still like couldn't believe I was there. And then Danielle McDonald, who plays um, Patty Cakes, she, yeah. the two of them, like we were at some place in Sundance and like they wanted to just read through, you know, a couple scenes and they're both like just, just each of them just like sort of 
giving me a light massage on the hand to just sort of reassure me that it was going to be okay and I was fine. And and so they were, you know, they're definitely two of the people putting the jersey on the on the coach's desk, you know, just, oh. just um, I don't know. I, I don't, I sort of hijacked whatever you were just talking about, but I, I think it's- No, 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 I derailed myself so that you, you responded in kind. <laughs> and what I, what I wanted to, what I wanted to work toward though was- Having having gone through so many iterations mm-hmm. and like, you know, okay, it's high school choir. Okay, then it's opera. It's karaoke. Cabaret is really jumping off for me. And then that leads in and through that you you have this comedy musical hybrid mm-hmm. and then you end up in a circumstance you meet Amy Schumer and that cosign really like it brings this friendship to your life and it gives you a lot of opportunities. And then patty cakes and acting and now show and it's the show that includes multiple disciplines that you've become so so good at over the course of your life, that proves that you can do kind of anything. Like it, it sort of proves like your story sort of proves that you can do anything. And I I wondered what is the next like exciting, motivating thing where you're like, well, all these other things worked and and I'm such a like polymath this is what I'll try next. Like, what is what is a life as big as Bridget Everett's do once you've got the somebody somewhere under your belt? Oh, we get an ad campaign for the face of uh, American Express. We finally cash in, <laughs> make a little do-re-mi, buy ourselves a home finally, be a property owner. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Jordan, I've only ever dreamt like one step ahead of where I am. Um, right. I know that right now, like, as, as I'm talking to, like, I was talking to one of my agents, my agent Seth, who books all my live stuff and whatever, my live, you mm. know, concerts and whatever. And he's like, well, what, what now? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I still want to do shows at Joe's Pub because that feels like, that feels like the juice, you know, that feels like the, yeah. the home for me. That's Rudy being carried off the field right <laughs> yeah, there that's is, Rudy. is the live show. Yeah, it's a live Just show. Just like the Rudy, <laughs> yeah. Rudy, like thousands right. strong. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. Dan Rudy. You know, I'd like this, you know, maybe a movie or whatever, but I'm, I'm not ever driven by money or whatever, so... Yeah. It, other than the fact that I would like to just, you know, American Express or whatever the thing is so I can buy myself a home. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Garner, you don't want to do Chase Bank forever, do you? Like, surely you don't. What's in your wallet, Bridget? (laughs) Ever it is, everybody. Oh, my God. I had this Capital One credit cards for a number of years with just, you know, the the 45% APR. (laughs) Just like... Oh, God. Bridget, Bridget, do you want to go out to dinner? I'm like, let me check my credit limit. Okay, it's 300. I've got it paid down to 133. Okay, so yeah, I can go. I got 100 bucks here. So yeah, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. All right, let's do the let's do the shuffle with the cup where yeah. we pull out the card underneath and see which one comes up. Exactly. Absolutely. I don't know. I just want to keep doing things that, that make me laugh, that make me giggle, and um, I think something interesting you just said a year or a minute ago was. You know, with the with the the show being like sort of all the parts of me, it's it's funny because I kept butting up against that with like Hollywood or whatever, and just like we don't know what to do with her, we don't know what to do with her. And I have to say, yeah. like HBO really like saw something in me, and like and and like the more the more me, the better. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? God, and, and HBO coming again with the last and final jersey, the star player, the, the all American, <laughs> yeah. the captain. Coming and just being like, I want Bridget to dress for me. And so, <laughs> you know. That is 
That is a really, that's a really beautiful thing to hear. And I think that makes it like a nice way to, to end uh, the conversation. And Sweet. obviously people can go watch somebody somewhere. Is there anything else you'd want to direct them to out of curiosity? Adopt, don't shop. How about that? That's it. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Go out there. And in the New Yorker profile, you were, you were mourning a Pomeranian. Yeah. Um, at the time, have you have you found a new love of your life? I'm currently yeah. I'm currently on the hunt. I'm on petfinder.com okay. every 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 day, some several times a day. I'm looking at different rescues and stuff. Um, I just want something fluffy and warm to cuddle up with at the end of a hard day. Is that so wrong? No, they and they find us. They, they find they, us. Our they pets find, find us. us. That's right. So it takes time. Yeah. So Bridget, <laughs> thank you so much for taking your time My and pleasure. sharing it with us today. I really, really appreciate you sitting down and, and talking about your your wonderful story and the things that you do. Thank you, Zoran. You know, I'm so glad uh, I got to cry on the podcast today, and I hope you guys got to cry uh, a little bit too, because it wouldn't be a valid conversation about the movie Rudy unless people were crying. So um, if you haven't checked out Somebody Somewhere yet, new episodes are currently rolling out on HBO Max. They hit on Sundays. Murray Hill, who we talked about in the interview multiple times, plays Fred Rococo on the show. And it also stars Jeff Hiller and Mary Catherine Garrison alongside Bridget. All right, before we wrap up the show today... As is custom, I have to talk about one quick thing before I go. And this week, that is Roland Emmerich's new disaster movie, the the king of disasters, the man who brought you The Day After Tomorrow, the man who brought you Godzilla, 1998, Independence Day, 2012. Like, he has ended the world so many times already, and this time... This time, it is humanity versus, I don't know, is it the dark side of the moon? Is it hollow moon theory? It looks like there are sentient beings within the moon that have surfaced that are, I don't know, propelling it towards, I don't actually understand what's happening based on the trailers for Moonfall, um, which is playing in theaters now. Uh, I, I, I keep watching the trailers and I was at first like, oh, is this the, is the moon just gonna crash into earth like this doesn't feel like something patrick wilson can stop like i understand him and Halle perry are gonna protect us but i also feel like the moon on an inevitable collision course with earth is a bit um un is a bit unfixable but then in additional trailers it started showing that there is some sort of uh living being organism thing uh that is using the moon to attack earth so i think we have to stop the thing that's controlling the moon and then we will save ourselves from the moon. I'm so curious to know if the theory, because, you know, the long-held theory in any disaster movies, of course, blow it up. If we blow up the moon, that will also be a problem for us because we need the moon. Um, it controls uh, some very uh, vital functions here on Earth. So, like, w when this ends, or, like, is it, like, are we going to get, like, a great shot into the sky of, like, chunks of moon will we now have multiple moons orbiting the earth that are bits of the previous moon will we beat will patrick and hallie beat the sentient beings within the hollow moon and then put the moon back like 
Does the moon get closer to us or do we go to the moon? I can't wait to have the answer to all these questions. I, of course, host a podcast dedicated to disaster movies. And when you when you start a venture like this at any point, you're like, God, I hope I get lucky enough at some point to cover the real time release of a Roland Emmerich disaster movie. These are the halcyon days for me. I cannot wait to be in a theater watching Roland Emmerich almost destroy, possibly very, maybe he's in a dark time and maybe he's really going to destroy the world this time. Um, I cannot wait to see this biggest life. I, I think 2012 might have been the last time we were treated to a Roland spectacular of this magnitude. And it's nice to know that Hollywood recognizes that the disaster movie at, a, at an Emmerichian scale is still something we the people need and deserve as a viewing populace. You know what? Enough, I love Marvel movies. I love superhero movies. But I would be happy if we paused on those like a little bit or slowed our roll on them. If we could like really commit to a disaster cinematic universe. I think we need to get to a 70s level of disaster epic production with incredible sprawling ensemble casts of like... Shirley MacLaine, like put Meryl Streep in these movies. We used to put Peter Fonda in these movies. I want Meryl Streep in these movies now. I want our legends. I want the cast of August Osage County to make a disaster movie together. That's the kind of prestige I want for this thing. So Moonfall's coming a huge pivot from the somebody somewhere conversation that we had today, but it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds of entertainment here on the Feeling Scene pod. And hopefully somebody out there feels seen by Dr. Lady Scientist Astronaut Hero Halle Berry, because I'm looking forward to having that conversation this podcast too. And that is it for this episode of Feeling Scene. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod. Our Facebook group is at www.facebook.com slash groups slash feeling scene pod. We have an Instagram too, and that is, you guessed it, Feeling Scene Pod. And you can always drop us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I am on Twitter at Jorcrew, which is J-O-R-C-L-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Our show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.